Amen. Let's just jump into the study. Lord, again, I just ask that you would speak to us during this time. Please, King, give me words. I don't know what to say. Help me to present this in a new and fresh way in your name. Amen. Amen. During the study, if you want to, if you want to open your mouth and say something, if you have a question, then just let's talk tonight. You know, seriously, if you want to say something or you have a question, Vincent, what's up, man? Are we tonight? I believe yes. That's what I, I want to. We got 30 minutes, so we'll see. Yeah, I want to take a minute. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think it'll tie it perfectly in the end so that we can take communion together, but let's jump into this thing. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We've just, we ended off, well, chapter 1, we, of course we see an overview of God creating the heavens and the earth, right? It's like an overview scope of everything that happened, the seven days, God creating the first six days, the seventh day resting. And then um, the second chapter, we see kind of like a zoomed in view on creation, of the man and the woman and what was happening in that time. And now we're going to take a look into chapter 3 where I call it the story begins because this is where the actual story of the Bible begins, right here in Genesis chapter 3 with um, Adam and Eve. And once again, guess, okay, Genesis chapter 3, let's read together. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which made which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, who? The serpent, of course. Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the garden of the trees. Uh, I'm sorry. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Let's stop right there. Okay, so we see the serpent coming up here, obviously, to this human being. A serpent, a snake, walks up. That's right, a snake in these days, it was not slithering on the ground at this time. Notice, if you notice on the back of a snake, you can see all the way down to the bottom part of it, there's these two little, like, I don't know, they look like like a tooth or something, like maybe your, your canine. It, it looks like a, a, a tooth shaped in the back there. And a lot of um, zoologists, I guess if that's what you call it, um, they say that this is where legs used to be on a serpent. It used to walk upright almost. It used to stand up. And um, scholars are saying, or a message I was listening to the other day was saying that the serpent was actually probably one of the most beautiful animals in the entire garden. Um, I don't know exactly why they point to that or why they say, but... It's just some quick commentary for you. Um, warning, if a snake ever comes up to you and asks a question, run, of course. Don't talk to it. But notice, Eve communicates with the animals. It wasn't a weird thing for the snake to come up to the human and ask a question. Notice that she wasn't freaked out. She wasn't like, blown away, like a snake's talking to me. This is awkward. This is weird. You know, when Balaam talks to the donkey, it wasn't weird for him either. But I think... It was kind of weird after he saw that an angel was standing there with a sword and he freaked out there and he fell on his face. So, I don't know, I think a different scenario with Balaam and the donkey talking than here with Eve in the garden. I believe, my opinion, is that there is probably telepathy happening um, with all the animals and Adam and Eve. They were able to communicate to the animals in some way. They probably knew the languages of the animals, I don't know, and able to communicate and um, be able to talk because they used, they were perfect humans. They used 100% of their minds they didn't um, not use anything. Sin had not come into the world yet. They were not broken in any way. I know that when the millennium happens and everything's restored, we will be what? Laying um, with the animals, laying with the lion and the lamb, hanging out with them too. Um, so something very interesting to, to, to note there, Eve talking to the animals. I don't know exactly what was happening there. I know Adam ruled over the animals of the field and named each one of them. But it's, it's awkward to see a snake talking to a human and Eve responding and talking to him. Well, what we see here in verse 2 and 3 is something I call legalism. In what way? Well, check it out. Look in verse 1. There at the end it says, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice, the serpent questions God's word. It's obviously Lucifer incarnate. Lucifer enters into two things on this earth. We see number one, the serpent. Number two, we see who? The Antichrist. I'm sorry, number three. We see three. Judas, of course. Judas Iscariot. And um, so three different times in history when we will see Lucifer actually enter into something, um, an animal or this, I'm sorry, this reptile first, 
and then two humans towards the end. And um, Lucifer is here talking to Eve, and he questions God's word. Did God say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And he even answers that question later on um, of what he's saying. But notice what Eve says. Eve says in verse 3, what does she say there? But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, says, we can eat of any tree we want, but God said, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what? We cannot eat of that, nor what? What does it say there at the end? Notice. Shall ye touch it? Touch it? Where did God say that, Eve? You added something. Look in verse 17 of chapter 2. Check it with me. God says here, But of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Where does God say touch it? He does not say that. She has added on to the word of God. She has said something else here. Very interesting. And a lot of times me and you, I call it legalism, add on to the word of God in the same way. In what way? We put all kinds of rules and regulations. Now, listen here. Stay with me. If there is a tree in the middle of the garden, God said not to touch it, what kind of rules and regulations would you make up to stay away from it? Well, I know we're not supposed to eat of it, right, Adam? Yeah, we're not supposed to eat of it, but I I don't think we should touch it either. Because if we touch it, then we might fall into sin and we might eat it. Let's uh, go draw, take a stick and draw a line around the tree. Don't put your feet... in in that line. Don't cross over that line because then you're going to fall into that sin. Don't be in eye's distance. Don't even take a look at it because if you take a look at it, you might sin and go and want to eat it. Don't do any of that. God did not say any of that. God has made His rules and regulations and things for us already made. And what do we humans do? We add on to the Word of God, don't we, all the time. We make up rules and regulations for ourselves so that we don't fall into sin, don't we? We can't do that. I remember one time I was being rebuked for riding in a car with a girl younger than me. I said, what? Where does it say in the Bible that? Well, you, you don't want anybody to see you riding in the car you know, with a high school student or this and that, you know, especially a girl, because then they might think this and this and this, and you want to be blameless, and that could cause all kinds of issues, and you're a leader in the church. And what? You're adding to the Bible. You are making up extra rules and regulations so that I don't fall into some sin. What, do you think I'm going to have sex with this? High school girl because I've given her a ride? Sure, is there a possibility? Yes, of course. But let's get real. God does not say that. And guess what happens when you start to set up rules and regulations for yourself, my friend? Christianity becomes bitter. Christianity becomes lame and a bunch of rules and regulations and I can't do anything in life anymore. I can't have fun. I call it the purity police or... Who knows what kind of police? The church police, you know? <laughs> Can't be doing that? You did this? You did this? Uh, he doesn't say that in the Bible. I can do whatever I want to. Thank you very much. If God did not say that, then don't say he said that. It's so lame. It's so, And we do this to ourselves, friend, in this way also. Legalism. We say what? I set up a rules and regulations so that I'm being fed every single day. Guess what? I have to read my Bible every day. I have to pray every day. I have to go to church on Sunday. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do this. Guess what happens? Legalism sets in. And you start becoming bitter at those things. And now it is a work and it is not a want to anymore. It's a have to. I've got to get up early in the morning. And guess what? When you set up a rule or regulation for yourself, guess what happens, Todd, when you don't fulfill that rule or regulation? What do you do? You condemn yourself. You beat yourself up. I touched the tree. Oh no, I sinned. No, you didn't. That is not a rule or regulation. I didn't read my Bible today. Who cares? That is not a rule or regulation in the Bible. It's okay. God is not going to condemn you for that. But I will say things and set things in my life because I want to. But if it ever starts to become legalism for me, I I can't touch a tree. I, I can't. I can't ever then that is where a problem starts. That is where a problem starts in the church and where it has started. More rules. Spurgeon says, I have found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. The habit of regular morning and evening prayer is one which is indispensable to a believer's life. But the... the prescribing of the length of prayer and the constrained remembrance of so many persons and subjects may gender 
unto bondage and strangle prayer rather than assist it. And isn't that the truth? I have to pray for 15 minutes a day. That's what I said. If I don't do that, prayer becomes now a work and I get bummed out when I don't do that and don't feel like I'm a spiritual and may think that God is looking down on me because I didn't do that. God is not worried about the amount of time. He's worried about the heart. God is not worried about whether you've read into this, but whether you've meditated on it and taken something from it and being fed, walking away spiritually blessed. Do you understand? We get caught up in this legalism. Look at the Pharisees. Let me read something to you. In contrast to two commands of Christ, the Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws. 613 laws they made up off of two that Christ said, Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love one another as I have loved you. 365 negative commands. I wonder if that was one for each day of the year. And 248 positive laws. By the time Christ came, it had produced a heartless, cold, arrogant brand of righteousness. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, of course, you know. And such it contained at least ten tragic flaws. And these are the flaws, I'll read them to you quickly. New laws continually need to be invented for new situations. Something new comes up, we need a new law, don't we? Accountability to God is replaced by accountability to men now. You can't ride in that car with that girl. Why not? My heart's right with the king. I'm okay. John used to tell us time and time again in the desert, you, the fear of man is a score. If it is a score. And if you walk in the fear of man, destruction is coming to you. I've heard recently that, I'm, that I have weird views and a man told me in that I'm kind of out there because of the things I've gained from, you know, John in the desert. And the fear of men is a scorn. And David danced in his underwear, and everybody said that was weird. And Jay Mart was sharing with something with me pretty cool. You know, he said, you know what, the greats of our times, they were all weird and whacked out until they did something great, and everybody said, oh, snap, you're crazy. You know, they did something amazing. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be great because I'm weird, you know. Or I don't know. I mean, most people don't tell me that, you know. And it's, it's, we don't walk in the fear of man, praise the Lord. And if the Lord is, if you feel the Lord agreeing with what you're doing, go and ask the king, say, Lord, is this right? Don't ever say, it's not me, like the disciples. You know, all 12 of them, remember? They didn't say, it's not me, when Jesus said, one of you will deny me. They said, is it I? Is it me? Is that me? Am I weird? Is there something wrong with me, King? Please prick my heart and teach me if there is. It reduces a person's ability to personally discern. Yep, because you walk in the fear of man. It creates a judgmental spirit. Because what? You've set up these boundaries for yourself, and guess what? Now everybody needs to do what you've done. The Pharisees confuse personal preferences with divine law. It I'm sorry, I was going to comment, but I won't. It produces inconsistencies. It, create, it created a false standard of righteousness. The line becomes way up here, which no man can obtain. And you feel so depressed and bummed out and down, this thing called Christianity, how hard it is. It became a burden to the Jews. It was strictly external, <coughs> external, external. It was rejected by Christ, of course. And so legalism coming into play here, Eve, why are you adding to the book? We don't need to do that. God has not said that. And John Corson gives a great message. I encourage you to, give, to go and check it out. It's called, He Didn't Say That. God, He did not say that. And he yells it probably 50 times in the message. He didn't say that. Because there was laws made up by the Pharisees like this. You can't spit on the ground. Remember, that's what they came and... and hammered Jesus for spitting on the ground and healing the man's eyes. Remember that? There was laws made because that's work on the Sabbath. You can't spit. There was a law made that you can't, if a man has one leg and he, has, he uses a, a wooden leg or whatever, he cannot screw on his wooden leg because that's work. What is going on here? How about the rules and regulations made where Christianity is so bitter and lame I don't have anything to do with it anymore? Do you see? Don't set up any rules and regulations for yourself. And if you do, 
The second it starts to become work, you better throw that thing away. Okay? Don't let it grab hold of your heart. If you haven't read today, that's okay. If you want to read, then read. If you haven't gone to church this week, that's okay. If you want to go to church, then go. Don't do things because you have to, unless you're making yourself do something because you know you really want to do it. Do you understand? That is the only reason you ever make a rule, regulation, or decision for your life. Don't let legalism set into play. Do not become a Pharisee. Oh Lord, keep us from that king, please. Let's move on. And the serpent said unto the woman, verse 4, Ye shall not surely die. Oh, I love it. Of course, the enemy twisting the word of God once again. 2 Timothy 2.15, what does it say? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to rightly divide the word of truth so when the enemy comes and twists the scripture, we will not be deceived, my friends. That is why we divide this thing. Do you know this is why a woman is not allowed to speak in the church now? And this is not anything against women. It is not anything to put down of any or make them a less about. By no means. But this is what Timothy. I'm sorry. In the new, in the New Testament, this is what it speaks about. I believe it's in Timothy's book. I believe, where it speaks about why women. It's because it says that Eve was the one who was deceived doctrinally. And I believe that man and woman are the image of God. Together, the perfect image of God. A perfect woman, a perfect man, the image of God. There it is. You cut it down the middle and you split them in half, you have what? A man who thinks or tries to think logically, but has no emotion, does not know how to aid the people, does not know how to be compassionate. And the woman comes into play perfectly to take care of that. And the woman, in the sense being deceived here, is what we see, what Timothy speaks about, by the enemy, by the serpent, doctrinally. So this is why they're not to speak. And this is why Paul says a woman is to wear head covering in the church when there's a, a believer's meeting going on. Why? It says because the angels are studying us and that they're watching to see if this, if this um, congregation is in order, if this meeting is in order. They're watching to see because what have they seen from the foundations of the earth? Wow, a woman was deceived by the enemy. And so now they think what? Are women going out and doing this and this and this? And so if a, this is explanation for Paul's head covering. The angels are watching. They are studying. They are learning about the grace of God. They don't even experience that. God loves us more than he loves angels. Did you know that? He's more compassionate about us and he loves us. He puts us at a higher stake than he does the angels. It says that we will actually judge the angels in the end in Revelation. So... We see here, this is the reason it goes all the way back to the garden, why doctrinally, why a man speaks in the pulpit and why a woman does it. A woman is allowed to teach the younger women, of course. And I believe a woman can even stand in front of the congregation and speak and say these things. Amen. But the, we just go by what the Bible says, and, and a lot of people have a problem with this. Oh man, Joyce Myers, wow. I'm sorry, I'm so, I didn't mean to say a name. Listeners, I'm sorry. But I'm sure if you knew one for that, or a lot of the women going around teaching, I believe, hey, go and teach. If that is the gift that you have, praise the Lord, then go and teach the women. We need women teachers to teach the women. But the Bible has commanded us not to have a woman teach in front of the congregation. Praise the Lord. Let's obey. Just like there's a lot of things which the Bible commands us to do here and there, tongues and prophecy and all kinds of things in routine and order and the way we're supposed to do it. And so we do that. We follow what the word of God says. Amen? We could go into that, and when we get to that in the Bible, we'll go into it more in depth. Any have questions afterwards? VirginPride12 at AOL.com if you want to email me. Praise the Lord. Um, let's go on to verse 5 here. Just a quick note. Jeez, man, we got it. Okay, praise the Lord. Verse 5. For God do know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. This is what the enemy is saying. And ye shall be gods, knowing good and evil. Uh-oh. Ye shall be gods, knowing good and evil. Sounds familiar. Mormon doctrine. Well, and where do we get that? Well, it's found in uh, Doctrine of Covenants, section 132, verse 20. It says, They shall be gods because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting. Because they continue, they shall be above all, because all things are subject to them. Speaking about, I'm going to give you reference to that. They, then they shall be gods because they have all power and the angels are subjected to them. This is Doctrine of Covenants, verse one thirty. I mean, section one thirty-two. What they're saying here is, if you 
are sealed in the new everlasting covenant. If you do not murder to shed innocent blood, you shall be resurrected, inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, the powers, this is what the Mormon doctrine is teaching, and what? You shall be gods. That's what they're pretty much saying, and that's where we get that. All the way back to the beginning of time, the enemy deceiving Eve in the same way people are being deceived today. You shall be gods. Oh, snap, that's wrong. That's way off. Verse 6, the lust of the eyes. I love it. Check it out. And when the woman saw that the tree was good food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. What does it say there? Look at that again. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasurable to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Hebrews 11.25 says what? Sin is pleasurable for a season. We know that. Don't be deceived by the eyes. The fruit looks pleasurable. I'm telling you. I don't know how to communicate it better to the world. If you're looking at it with your eyes and you desire it, my friend, you're going to be deceived and you're going to end up dying spiritually. You'll not surely die. Hey, you're not going to die if you go to, go to this or go to that. You're not going to die if you go look at this or go do that. Another thing with legalism is this. When you go and you touch the tree and nothing happens, you set up a rule of regulation, you touch the tree, you realize nothing happens, and then what? It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Thou shalt not eat of the tree, Eve, it says. And God said we can't touch it either. Touch, touch. Well, I wonder if she walked up after the serpent said that and just walked up and touched it, just as maybe we... Maybe we don't go and have tons of sex or go and party and get drunk all the time or go do this or that or this or that, take it to the extreme or cuss all the time or do whatever. Touching the tree is okay. It's not that big of a deal. You will surely die. When we set up rules and regulations for ourselves, we will break them down. There's tons of books written about how to set up barriers for yourself and what to do. I remember reading lust books, like how to stop yourself from you know, committing sexual sin or trying to all this lame And I'm just like, I couldn't believe it. There it was, found right there, just like, you don't need to do all these barriers. Guess what? Just don't do it. It's that easy. It's that simple. Just let your will say, I'm not going to do it. It's that simple. Don't set up a bunch of rules where you can't ride in, in the car with a girl at night. Why? Well, because if you do, then you know something might happen. You can't go and see a movie together because what if you start making out and then that one thing is leading up. You can't do this, can't do that. I've got to set up rules and regulations. No, if you set up rules and regulations, you're going to break them, I promise you. Because you're going to go up as close as you can to the tree without touching it and then you will touch it. And guess what the next step is? Eating that fruit, my friend. Don't set up rules and regulations. Just don't do it. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's easy. It's simple. That's what... Did God give us a manual like, okay, bro, I mean, okay, kids, okay, babies here, listen up. The order of operations, the schedule, the routine, the way to not fall into the sin is this. Number one, don't do this, as the book tells. Number two, don't do that. Number three, stay far from the... No! He just said, don't do it. And that is the best way, because he made us this way. Don't eat of the tree, my friends. Don't set up rules and regulations. You will fall into it. Okay, um, I'm not going to go to the computer and I'm uh, for only 15... Don't do it. It's not going to work. Just don't do it. Don't say you're not going to do something because you will. Just don't do it. Just make the decision right there in your heart. I know I'm not going to let the enemy deceive me. You won't surely die. Say to yourself, I will surely die. God said it. I know it's going to happen. What does sin do? Look at the cross, my friends. It crucifies you. It makes you all a big bloody mess. Gets you all messed up. So don't do it. You see the second thing there? The lust of the eyes and then what? They desired to be wise. You see that in verse 6 there? Desired to be wise. Romans 1, Verses 20 and 21, I mean 22, you know, professing to be wise, they became fools. They're without excuse. They professed to be wise, and guess what? They became fools. Knowledge, my friends, was the thing that was the fall of man. 
knowledge. Knowledge is the thing that deceived man. Knowledge was the thing that is where the fall of man started. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Well, if you have all the knowledge of the world, yet you have not love, you have nothing. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, my friends. Don't chase after knowledge, chase after love. Who is love? God is love. Jesus, our King, is love. It's okay to study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. But not so much where you become this knowledgeable man who doesn't apply anything to his life. You know who I'm talking about. Those guys who just know everything about the Bible through and through, yet apply nothing to their lives. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. Don't be deceived. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 7. Let's read it together. The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. That rhymes. Yes, it does. All of a sudden, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. Notice, they were pure at one time. They were pure at one point. Hey, Jay. They were pure at one point where they did not realize that they were even naked. They did not realize that they were naked. Their minds did not understand that being naked was a weird thing. So weird. It's, it, it, our minds, if you even take off your shirt and walk around in public, it's like, you know? Or if you walk around in a Speedo in public, you're just like, whoa. But they did not even know they were naked. Their minds were so pure, so set apart. Being naked was not a weird thing. And one day we'll be back to that. Praise the King. But secondly, that sex will not be a weird and perverse thing. It's such a bummer. You know what sex is supposed to be? A warm fireplace. A nice, warm teddy bear to cuddle up next to. Not this rigid, sharp knife that stabs into your chest, which is sick and disgusting and perverted of these days. And after you do it, you feel guilty these days because it's so far outside of marriage and you feel, you feel like radical and you feel like separated and, and this rebel per se because you're defying what the body tells you to do at first. It's messed up, my friends. Look at what sex has become. Pornography and molestation. Rape and just sicko party. Have fun. It's not even a wonderful... It's not a diamond to be cherished anymore. It's some rock in the gutter just to throw around. It's a bummer. And we've got to get back to that somehow. And I would love to rise up an army that just says, No, you look... We, we laugh and we mock at you because you don't realize that you're deceiving yourself. That God meant that for the most wonderful thing and pleasure and exciting ecstasy you could ever fulfill on this earth. Ever! The highest pleasure next to hanging out with the King, of course, within a human that I can... And it's not that anymore, is it? It's a quick fill. We need to get back to where being naked is a pure thing, a sweet thing, a warm fireplace to warm yourself next to. They had literally be, been uncovered or ashamed. They were scared. They were so uncovered that they just hid themselves and they put fig leaves on. They sewed fig leaves together. I wonder what God was thinking, like, what are you doing? And I love it. The perfect question comes a little bit down the road. But listen to this quote. This is a quick off the note, but actually I'm not going to read that. No, I will, just because I said I was going to do it. They were looking for famous golf sayings to be inscribed in a specific area in the Golf Hall of Fame when it was under construction in Pinehurst, North Carolina. The first one selected is the most common or the most often used expression the game produced. The most often phrase everybody says in golf. 
oh no. And why do I bring that to the table? What does that mean? Well, that's exactly what Adam and Eve said as soon as they realized they're naked. Oh no, you know, I'm naked. I'm exposed. Oh no. I'm ashamed. I hid myself. And they definitely did do that. And God, of course, knew that they would. He goes looking for them. Look at verse 8 and 9. I do a full study on this, but I just want to read that with you guys. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Or where are you? Notice, Look what it says here in the King James. Very interesting phrase here at the beginning of verse 8. What does it say? And they heard the voice of the Lord walking. The voice of the Lord walking? How does the voice of the Lord walk? How does that happen in the cool of the day? Well, very interestingly enough, the, the word cool here, that word cool, guess what? It's only used once in the entire Bible. The word is ruach. It means wind or breath. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. I love that. Walking. His voice walking. I wonder if that is the voice of the Lord. I wonder. This is Josh Thompson theory, but praise the Lord. I've never heard anyone else bring it up, and so I will. The voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. The word cool there means wind. God's breath. And what does it say there? Look down in verse 10. Check it with me. And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Adam heard God's voice in the garden and he was afraid and it was wind blowing. Why was he afraid? Because I wonder if each day when Adam was walking with God, God would come up and blow. And the the trees would blow and the wind would blow and it would blow on Adam and he would know it was the king looking for him. It was the king wanting to spend time with him. The Lord blowing. How many times do you feel the wind blowing each day? A whole lot. I wonder if it's because the king wants to hang out with us all day long. I wonder if it's because the king wants to spend time with us. He's blowing on us, my friends. It's his voice walking through the garden in this day. We are to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Well, God helps us. He blows on us. He gets our attention. I love when the wind blows because every time it does, it happens often when me and Robert pray outside. We'll be praying for our prayer list and all of a sudden the wind will blow. And I say, Lord, I hear you. I can feel you. I know. The wind blowing is the most awkward thing probably on the face of the earth. What is something we can't see and all we do is feel it and it's just where is it coming from? How does it happen? How does it start? When did it start? Where did it come from? When did wind start the first time to start the first chain reaction of wind starting to blow? God is in complete control. Solomon says, who knows where the wind goes? It's amazing. It's God speaking to us. Don't miss out. When the Lord blows on you tomorrow, speak to Him. Talk to Him. Spend time with Him. Adam heard the voice of the Lord and was afraid. I love it. And God said, where are you? Where are you? He said, I heard the voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, I hid myself. Verse 11, the perfect question. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? It's the perfect question. I love this. this. Think about this. When you're in an argument or discussion with somebody and you're trying to corner them, this is a perfect question. He has no rebuttal. He can't say anything. Because somehow God knows it's a full painted picture. Who told you you were naked? God has brought to the table that now He knows that somebody told Him. That Adam was talking to someone. That Adam did something wrong. Adam has no rebuttal. He says, I was afraid because I was naked, Lord. Who told you you were naked? Uh Uh-oh. There's nowhere to run. It's like God, the creator of the language, just worked him. It's the perfect picture. 
And God does that with me and you many times when we're in prayer, when we seek His face, when the wind blows, grab on to Him. Don't miss out. But secondly, a great parallel picture here. Who else was naked? Adam revealed that he was naked when what? Sin came into the world. One was sin forgiven. Who is naked and pinned to the cross? Our King Jesus. On that tree, the tree of life, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was hung on a tree and he is the life. Jesus says in John chapter 6, if you eat of me, you will have life. Adam ate of the tree and what happened? Death. Jesus says, you eat of me and you receive life. Adam took from the tree and death came. Jesus was nailed to the tree and life came. What a great picture. Two naked men. Not a great picture. (laughs) But two naked men showing us that what? Sin entered the world through a naked man, but sin was forgiven and wiped away from the world by a naked man at the same time. I love the picture. I love the type. I love the parallel. Jesus right there in our text once again. The tree of life, man. The tree of life. I love it. This Bible speaks to us so unbelievably. Parallels and pictures that you can see Jesus in a new way. Well, let's move on. Let's finish this thing up. We've still got a couple scriptures to go. Who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Wherefore I commanded thee not, and that should not eat. Uh-oh, guess what's about to happen. Verse 12, And the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, so he goes to the woman, and guess what he says? What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Uh-oh, we got the blame game happening like everybody does. Excuses, excuses. I spit on that. As I tell somebody close to me, I don't want to hear any ba 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 ba. No excuses. No reason for why it's not taken care of. No reason for why you didn't pull through. No reason why it wasn't taken care of. No excuses, my friend. Don't blame it on the other person. Don't blame it on anybody. Notice something interesting also is that Adam and Eve never repent. We don't see them repenting. It's not recorded in Scripture. We don't see that. They play the blame game, and what does God do? Well, here's repercussions, my friends. Let's move on to verse 14. What happens? Verse 14, we see, The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art accursed above all the cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So first he curses the serpent, we see. And that's right, the serpent now crawls on the belly of itself for all of its days. It eats the dust of the ground. Its mouth is in the dirt, per se. Always. He said something he shouldn't, and now he reaps it for all of his days. The serpent does. I wonder if, man, I wonder if the serpent, no, I don't know, that's just speculation, but I was going to say, I wonder if the serpent had any control over whether or not Lucifer came into him. Why does a serpent have to reap for what Lucifer did? I don't know. We know that uh, an animal doesn't have a spirit, but can one choose? I don't know. Speculation. Look into it for yourself. But we know that the serpent is cursed among all animals, and it will be the lowest. And it definitely is the lowest, isn't it? It crawls on the ground. Every single bit of it, nothing comes off the ground. A cobra tries, but it will always come back to the ground. Verse 15. Oh, wait, something quick to note right there in that, in that scripture. Even in the millennial, even on the millennial reign right there in Isaiah 65, verse 25, there's a reference there. Isaiah 65, 25. Even in the millennium, we will look at the serpent and it will crawl on its belly. It will not have legs. It is to remember for all of eternity that that, that we never forget God's plan, God's supreme plan. What was it? Well, man fell away. God sent a rescue mission, him coming down, dying for the sins of the world to bring man back to God. That we would never forget how it all started, where it all came about. Being deceived by the serpent, that we would never be deceived all the way for the rest of our days. Verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt... 
Thou shalt bruise the teal. Well, a ton there. We see that what? There's going to be conflict between the snake and the woman for all the rest of her days, and we see that, don't we? We see that most women are scared of snakes, terrified, actually. Many men, too. Todd. <laughs> and we also see I mean we see that true secondly we see notice the word there and between thy seed and her seed do you see that? her seed her seed women don't have seed the man has the seed the woman has the egg we know that male has the seed female has the egg now why does it say her seed? well it's speaking about what? the virgin birth of course her seed. She does not need seed from a man. She has her own seed. The virgin birth it speaks of prophecy. We see the virgin birth is going to happen. Right here, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, prophesied a virgin birth. Secondly, we see what? It, it, what it? Well, the seed of the woman, and who is that? Jesus, our king, the virgin birth. It shall bruise thy head. Whose head? The serpent's head. Because he has just done wrong. Remember, God is giving a curse to the serpent. He shall, he shall smash your head, or more or less, speaking to Lucifer right now, your head is going to be smashed, Lucifer, by the cross, correct? The virgin birth, being born, and Jesus dying on the cross, smashing Lucifer's head. But secondly, what do we see? It says that it will bruise his heel. And how is Jesus, the seed, her seed, how is he bruised? Well, we know that he was bruised and afflicted, it tells us in Isaiah 53, being nailed to that cross, going through that agonizing pain for you and for me, our King. Amazing. Let's move on. Sum this up. Verse 16, well, we have the curse coming to the woman. Ladies, are you ready? Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception, or in sorrow in thou shalt be forth children, bringing forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So, we see a couple things here. We see, well, there's going to be some pain during childbirth, and I'm going to multiply that greatly, and we see that today. Many people argue, well, should a woman take drugs? Praise the Lord. Take it, I say. Yes, take the anenema. I'm sorry, anenema. <laughs> Take that too, if you want. <laughs> What's the word for it? The epidural. Epidural. An enema. You can take that too. If you don't know what that is, go ask your pants. <laughs> but you can take the epidural, it's okay. Secondly, we see that they shall desire to be that with thy husband. They shall long to be with thy husband. John told me something interesting. He said when raising a daughter, he said, men, when he was talking to us, he says raising a boy, a little difficult. You've got to do a ton of things. You've know, you got to do this and do that, do this and that. He says ladies are a lot easier. Um, he says all they want to do is be loved. That's it. You just pretty much wrap them up under your arm and tell them that you love them and that they're beautiful and that they're wonderful and that they're awesome and you encourage them. And the mom will teach them the ladylike things, but that is your role of what you need to do, men. And it's that easy, it's that simple, truly. That is what a woman longs for, is to be by the side of her husband. It says it back here in Genesis chapter 3. And we know that. We can see that. See, a lot of times the boys wanting to come and play, but the girls saying, you need to come home and stay. That rhymed, didn't it? But more or less, the woman longs to be by the husband's side, and that's the, way, that's the way God created it. And why is that? Well, of course, she was taken from his side. And, the, of course, the husband longs for the woman to be by his side because he is incomplete without the, the, the woman. He's completely incomplete. He'll never be complete unless he has his woman by his side. And so we see that here. We also see that the husband will rule over thee. And that is not meaning what? I'm the master. You listen to everything I say and I... Da, 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 da. No. A woman is never to be in front of the husband or above the husband where she hammers down on him or behind where he stomps down on her, but to be right next to him where he can comfort her. Amen. That is the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God created it. Let's see what he did to Adam. Men, listen up. Verse 17. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife... That's right and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Oh yeah, the ground is not going to be soft anymore, boys. 
It's not going to produce wonderful fruit like it did before. It's not going to be watered and misted like before. You're going to have to work through this hard ground. What does he say? In sorrow shall thee eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth weeds. That's right, boys. You're going to have to pick them and work in the field. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. That's right. If you want to eat bread, guess what? You're going to have to work hard, my friends. In order to bring home the bacon, you're working hard. You're going to have to sweat, whether it be in your mind or with your hands and on your brow. You're going to have to work hard to produce for your family. Yes, you will. It's going to be a lot of work. I had it planned out for you, Adam. Pleasure. In the Garden of Eden, you had it made. But you wanted to do it your own way, so now this is your curse. Continuing in verse 19. Till thou return into the ground, for thou... Uh, until you return into the ground. Guess what, buddies? My friends, we have a promise there. Until you return back to the ground. You will work the ground until you return to the ground. When you die, when you are put in the ground, that is the day you are set free from work. That's right. The king has built a house for you. He prepares a place for us. And we get to go there and be at rest for the rest of eternity. Never have to work again. Ever. 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 For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Naked you came, naked you will leave, my friends. There's no U-Haul truck strapped to the back of a hearse. You're going away with nothing, my friends. Verse 20, And Adam called his wife, or his wife's name, Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. So we have a picture painted. We're about to close this game up. Oh my, man, I've gone way over. I'm sorry, my friends. But this is my favorite part of the entire story in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. My favorite. Oh man, I love it. Grace is about to be shown. So what's happened? Well, the serpent came up, deceived Eve. Eve came to her husband, eat of it, take a bite. And guess what? He took a bite. Curses come. They never repented. They tried to play the blame game and blame it on everybody else. Try to talk to God and act like nothing happened, like me and you do. They even made fig leaves from themselves and tried to cover up. Tried to cover up their sin. Tried to cover up that they were naked. They were ashamed. And I love this. They have not repented. They have not been good to God. They have not done one thing to bless the king. And guess what the king does? Oh, I love it! Take a look. Verse 21. Unto Adam also to his wife did the Lord God make them. Did the Lord God make them coats of skin and clothe them? What? Lord, why are you doing that? Guess what he did? Adam and Eve wronged God. They did against him. They disobeyed him. And guess what God did? Well, he made him some designer clothes. You know, went and took them shopping and blessed him. That doesn't make sense. That's awesome. That's wonderful. It's such a blessing. That's how our Jesus is. We wrong him, we do things wrong, guess what he says? Forgive him. And you haven't even asked for forgiveness, and guess what? I'm still going to bless you. You still get heaven. You still get nice clothes. You still get to go and do this and go and do that and eat nice. Even though you've wronged me, I'm still going to bless you. Amazing. That's the grace of our King, my friends. That's what it's all about. In closing, you know what? I'm going to read a quote of grace real quick. This is awesome. An atheist said, If there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. Nothing happened. You see, there is no God. And another responded to him, You have only proved that he is gracious. That's the truth. We all deserve to be struck dead. Because we've all been atheists at one point. We've all rejected the Father. And he has not struck us dead, my friends. We serve a good king. He is our everything. He is awesome. And so let me just read these last few scriptures. 22 through 24. Listen up. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. Uh-oh, Trinity. Did you see that? The, the man has become like one of us? Who's us? Knowing everything. Who is us? Well, Trinity. To know good and evil, now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God set him forth from the set him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from where he was taken. So he drove the man 
and he placed him at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword which kept and turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We see here, we see in closing, what happens? Well, God kicks Adam out of the garden, and why does he do that? Well, he says, he kicks him out to protect the tree of life. Why protect the tree of life? Well, if Adam would have went and he ate of the tree of life, guess what? He would have been stuck in this way of sin, or this sinful nature for all of eternity. The tree of life gives you life, in whatever state that you're in. It says specifically that God kicked him out to keep him away from the tree of life. He didn't want him to eat it. Why? Because it says there in verse 23 that if you eat of the tree of life, it will give you eternity. And so he kicked him out, and guess what he did? He kicked him out of the gate. You're out of here. I'm sorry, my man. You've got to go out. He set a flaming sword there with a cherubim standing there. It says it moved every single way, not letting any man into the Garden of Eden. I wonder if Adam used to walk up to the gates of the Garden of Eden and just look in there and just remember what it used to be like. And my friends, tonight, I wonder if there's been a time in our lives where we look back into the gates and just wonder, man, there's just a sweet time in my life when I was spiritually set. I was ground. I was walking with the Lord. I was on fire for the King. I loved walking and talking with Him. When the wind blew, I spent time with Him. Guess what? The Garden of Eden is not shut up anymore. Jesus has given us the tree of life. He says you can eat of me and have eternity. And so in this day and this time, we're going to do that. We're going to eat of the king just real quick. Because that's what we come here for, is remember what Jesus has done for us. We cannot forget, okay? I know I've gone long, and I'm sorry. But it'll be like blood on my hands if I don't let you guys remember what Jesus has done for you, you know? That's what we come for. So, Jay, can you come and hand out the elements, Robert? Just real quick. Well, let's think about this time. Let's run back into the gates. I had a great time studying with you guys, you know, truly. And I know it gets a little hard to stay focused sometimes. I know. But let's not miss out. Let's grab onto the blessing that the King has for us. Let's get back to the garden tonight. You guys... I desire with all my heart, I'm serious, man, I, this is, let me just tell you my heart, I long, I long for the day when we meet house to house, I long for the day when we can't wait to come together as a group, like every night or, or you know, a couple times a week, you know, because we've got other things we've got to eat to, of course. But I long for it, man, when we just get together, talk about Jesus, have a blast together, you know, and just celebrate the Lord and, you know, I... Are we going to do the agape feast next week? What do you think? Well, we told everybody we were, but... We told everybody we would. Snap. Maybe, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the agape feast and invite, you know, we'll do invite, I'll bring some cards, you know, to, to church this weekend and we'll invite and, uh, remember, we're just going to, uh, what did I do with my cup? Did I take one, Robert? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so we'll invite, you know, we'll bring people together. I just love this, and, but I also want people to be set free, you know. I really want people to come together as a group. I want, you know, there to be opportunity for us to remember what, the, what Jesus has done for us. And so we'll have the party next week. Yeah, okay, it's okay to invite. Invite, 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 we'll do that. I'll invite tomorrow night, Wednesday, and I'll invite Sunday, and I'll invite everywhere that I go. Because we're going to have a party next week, Tuesday night. If you can bring something great, there's a list there you can sign up on. If you can't bring anything, who cares? If you can go pick something up, bring something, it'll be provided for. If you don't bring anything, it's okay. But if you want to, you know, and you want to cook up something, or pick up some pizza or chicken, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anything you can do would be great. If not, then it's cool. But we're going to have a party in the name of Jesus next week, celebrating this. I would love to have more parties. You know, I was talking to somebody, real quick, I was talking to somebody this last week, sorry, I keep getting distracted. Um, in the Romanian church, they throw parties like once or twice a month, and I, they call it this thing, it's like, I can't remember exactly the word, because they're Romanian or whatever, whatever you know, the language. And, and they, what they do is they have, they, have, they have like this big backyard, they throw it at somebody's house, or actually, I, think they, I don't know if they do it at the church or what, they just do a big party. They have bands come out and everything. Everybody just comes and hangs out. 
Then there's a time, you know, a time of prayer for a little bit. Then there's a time of, um, you know, quick Bible study, and they remember what the king has done for them, and everybody just celebrates and worships for a bit, and they just hang out and have a blast for the rest of the night, just like a big party. I was like, dude, that's radical right there. That's awesome. That's so rad. We need to do that. And so I'd like to start doing that, and you know, maybe, and, and next week we can do that, and we'll do that um, here on Tuesday night, and we'll, we'll throw a party in the name of Jesus. But let's remember together real quick, okay? Let's not forget. This is our first love, my friends. Okay? Kyle and Ryan, this is why we come here. This is why we go to church. This is why we read our Bible. Todd, Vincent, this is why. It's because of what Jesus has done for us, okay? Dan, we'd not be here unless Jesus had done something for us. We would not be having Bible study. We would not be thinking about heaven or talking about any of this. This is why we must never forget this. And if you need to do this in your day, because, Ryan, you're, you're working instruction or whatever, and you're bummed out because your dad or whatever, this and that, or because, Robert, you're going through a situation with your family and you just need to remember the king, then take communion wherever you go. Stop right there. Go say, I need to take a break real quick. I'm going to go take some communion. If you don't have the elements, then praise the Lord. If you do, hey, if you got guacamole and a chip, do it. You know, whatever. Water is great. You know, it doesn't matter. It, it's the heart that counts, Taylor, truly. You know, at lunchtime, if whatever. Don't forget what Jesus has done to you. Everybody forgets their first love. The 60-year-old pastor who's bitter at his congregation, he's forgotten what this game is all about. May we never forget that. This is not a vain ritual routine. This is what we do because this is our everything. Okay? So let's not forget. Let's understand. What does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? Well, let's pray to the king. Huh? Father, we hold up the bread to you. And we know that your body was broken, that you came down and died for us. That you let yourself be broken in half, Lord. You let yourself be beaten and bruised. A rescue mission for us so that we could, Lord, be complete in this life. So that sin will not have a grasp on us. The reason why we're set free and we have a good life, a, a Christian life, Jesus, is because of what you have done, because of your body. We say thank you. Say thank you with me, please. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. From the depths of our heart, we thank you. And we'll eat together in the name of that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's talk about partake. And secondly, Lord, Jesus, King, can you hear us? Father, can you hear us? We, we see this cup, Lord, holds your blood. And that your blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And we understand that our sins have been forgiven, Lord. We understand. Right now, please, my friends, if there's sin that you're dealing with in life, then bring it to the King right now. Lord, this sin that we deal with, we ask for forgiveness, not because we have been forgiven already, but because we know what's wrong, Lord. And we know that it's cutting us up and making a big bloody mess. And we don't want to bleed to death. We don't want to be crucified like sin does to you. And so, Lord, we repent of that sin. And we know the things we haven't done. And we know the things that we have done that are sinful and blasphemy against you. We know that you tell us not to do this sin because you don't want us to be jacked up in life. And we remember that sin and we ask for forgiveness. Not to condemn ourselves, King, we know that. But to celebrate that you have forgiven us. You're so awesome, Jesus. You're so wonderful, Lord. Father, you're so awesome. We're so thankful and happy that you have forgotten every single sin we've ever committed, that you don't hold anything against us, that you look at us as a blank piece of paper, that you look at us as, as white as snow. Thank you, Lord, that you don't make us go to jail, that you don't hold us guilty for the thing that we have done wrong this week. There is much gratefulness and happiness within my heart because of that, Lord. Let's say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're truly grateful. And we've not forgotten your blood. We're happy we get to go to heaven for free. And we'll drink to that, King. Cheers to you. Thank you for that. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. And Father... I pray for this group tonight. Please, guys, if there's anything going on, I'm just going to pray for that right now. Just bring it to the forefront of your mind and let me pray for that real quick. Okay, Lord, 
I pray over this group and I pray for me myself and all the things that we are dealing with and going through in this day and in this week. Give us rest, King. We cast our burden upon you and receive rest. We know you're going to pull through. You cause all things to work together for good. You give us a peace that surpasses understanding. We come to you, Jesus. We call upon you. You're the creator of the universe. We don't know where else to go, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for seeing our needs. Thank you for letting us know you're going to pull through. We long for it and we wait for you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done. Praise be to you, my King. In your name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.